0: Relive your favorite era of wrestling with New Gen on a Mission, Wrestling Warzone, Extreme Three-Way Dance, or the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast. Keep in touch with the modern era with GC Dub, Clotheslines and Headlines, You Know What That Means, and Viewer's Choice, or Sit Down and Nerd Out with No Holds Barred, WWE War, or The Wrestler That Was. It's summertime, and the living is easy. Because you've got the North-South Connection. NorthSouthConnection.com South Connection podcast listeners, welcome to the Multiverse of Fabulousness for our 23rd episode. My goodness, I guess we're all grown up. As usual, this is Johnny C. streaming at you here from the Multiverse. A uh, bit of a piece of information right up top, ladies and gentlemen. Due to a scheduling conflict on my part, unfortunately, this go-around I will not be joined by my co-host, Keithy Langston. Um, He did send an audio message, so let me play that for you. Hey, uh, Johnny Seed, it's Keithy Langston here. Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm sorry I couldn't be here for the multiverse of fabulousness. Uh, Me and my friend Lois, and uh, my dog Brian, and, uh, well, my son Chris, and uh, this thing that lives on the bottom of my shoe named Meg, uh, and, of course, my little baby Stewie. Uh, we couldn't be here this week, because, uh, you fucked up, Johnny. Um, you didn't have, you didn't make enough time for me. I thought I was your friend. Oh, that's okay. That's great about your modeling, Lois. Really good. All right, I'm gonna go now. Fuck you, Johnny. Jeez, I should probably listen to these things before, uh, I play them on the air for everybody. But, uh, yeah, so I am sorry, uh... Apologies to all. Keithy will be back the next go-around. Well, since we're all grown up, it's time to start talking about some adult topics. Here in the Multiverse of Fabulousness, we scour the multiverse for pop culture variants surrounding usually the world of professional wrestling, which means we play sort of a game of, uh, what if? Don't sue us? Okay. So, for 22 episodes, myself, Keithy, and various guest hosts have looked at different Earths throughout the multiverse and, and, you know, discover differences in professional wrestling. Today, I'm going to do something a little bit different as we are going to traverse the very dangerous lanes of hypertime. Don't hang up, please. I'll explain. So I think at this point we all get what the multiverse is. We've seen enough movies, et cetera, et cetera. You know, let's just say for argument's sake, there's 52 Earths, Earth, Earth 1, Earth, Earth Earth 0, Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth 3, Earth 4, etc. On one Earth, I might be a painter. Uh, on one Earth, I might be a butcher. On another, a baker. A candlestick maker on another. Whatever. But there's also the concept of hyper-time. So, let's just say for this example, I live on Earth 3. On this Earth, I'm driving in a car with my daughter, and... There's a squirrel that runs out in front of the road, and I dodge to miss it, and we go on about our business, everything's fine. And that's the preordained path of time. I'm always going to dodge that squirrel, and everything's going to be fine. Let's say someone messes with that event, and instead of dodging to hit the squirrel, I don't think I have enough room on the road to safely move, and I run over the squirrel. And then my daughter gets mad at me and says, Dad, you didn't do enough to save that squirrel. You're an asshole. And I feel bad about it. And I make her her favorite dinner, and she won't eat it because she's still mad at me. So I go out and buy a PlayStation 5 and play Final Fantasy 16 with her because we both love Final Fantasy. We spend the entire summer traveling through that mystical, wonderful world of warriors, wizards, and dogs that can attack on your command. God, why don't I have a PlayStation 5? And as a side effect of that summer of Final Fantasy Sixteen, I gain 50 pounds and a month later die of a heart attack. That creates... On Earth 3, an alternate timeline in hypertime. So on Earth 3, there's a timeline where I dodge the squirrel, and then in hypertime, there's a timeline where I hit the squirrel and then die of a heart attack. So it doesn't create an alternate Earth, it creates an alternate timeline on that Earth. And, and why is it so important that I hit that squirrel? Why, why did that change things? Because, ladies and gentlemen, that was a flashpoint! And since, by my calculations, this episode will be releasing the very same week of the movie, The Flash, from Warner Brothers and DC Comics, today we're going to take a look at wrestling flashpoints. So, flashpoints come from the comic book series Flashpoint, where the Flash travels back in time to save his mom from being murdered by the reverse Flash. And he finds himself in a world where Batman is Thomas Wayne instead of Bruce Wayne, There's no Superman, and Wonder Woman and Aquaman are at war with one another. So, why would saving your mom have such egregious ramifications? And the only reason I'm explaining this is to explain how, if we change something in professional wrestling's history, why is there a flashpoint that changes other things? Why are there drastic changes when you make little changes? Well, the comic describes flashpoint intervention as kind of like a bullet hitting a windshield. The point of impact of the bullet causes the glass nearest to the entry point to shatter around it. So if you change a moment, if the flash changes a moment in his own timeline, the bullet shattering glass effect affects those closest to him well, those closest to him are those in the superhero community. So it alters their destinies as well. So if we were to go back in time and say, oh, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of a silly one. It's not what I actually used. Let's say the earthquake never becomes a pro wrestler. Well, all those who feuded with the earthquake would be those most dramatically affected. Whereas someone like, I don't know. John Cena's probably not affected, if that makes sense. Or let's use someone in the timeline of his. Uh, let's say The Undertaker is not affected, because Undertaker and Earthquake never really interacted together in a big way. All right, so hopefully that makes sense. And, and luckily, since this is actual history, and there are business decisions involved, we could kind of make some domino effect-style inferences and educated assumptions. assumptions. I just learned English about how this would affect everything. So, everyone on board? Let's get into it with our first flashpoint and fallout. Now, this is a is a is a flashpoint event that would definitely mess with one of my favorite shows here on the North South Connection Podcast Network, New Gen on a Mission, which uh, comes to us every other Tuesday, and they cover Brett and Sean to Brett and Sean, meaning Brett and Sean at Survivor Series '92 to Brett and Sean at Survivor Series '97. This would really fuck with their show's history. And I think I find that very interesting, and I hope they do too, and all of their listeners do as well. And the, the moments I've chosen, some of them are very important professional wrestling moments. Others, like this one, are, are very important, but they're, they seem less important on the grand cosmic scale, but they have effects you might not consider. And after I explain to you what the Flashpoint event is, we're going to talk about what I'm calling the instant fallout of the event, meaning how it would instantly affect things, And then the potential fallout. What would the potential long-term ramifications be? So, this Flashpoint event is very simple. We're going to travel back in time and somehow convince those who are responsible for the production of the film, Rough Stuff, which would later be named Mr. Nanny, to cancel production of that film. Now, Just a side note, I attended WrestleMania 8, which isn't important, but it is important because I didn't get it on pay per view and tape it. So I got the Coliseum Home Video from my local video store and dubbed it and watched the shit out of it. And there's a Coliseum Home Video exclusive where Hulk Hogan talks to Mean Gene and he's like, Mean Gene, what's going on, dude? And Mean Gene's like, Hulk Hogan. Tell me right now, are you retiring from professional wrestling after WrestleMania 8? And he's like, no, dude. I'm just taking a little break. See, I'm going to hang out with Brooke on the set of my new movie, Rough Stuff, and then we'll probably come back. Rough. So it was called Rough Stuff. All right. Guaranteed or your money back. And then it became Mr. Nanny. So what? what how does this change things? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the big Flashpoint event means to me that now in this altered timeline... The main event of WrestleMania 8 is Hulk Hogan versus the Nature Boy Ric Flair for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Let's talk about the instant fallout of that event. Right out of the gate, and I mean, I know this is an obvious one, but, uh, you know, it has ramifications. We lose Savage Flair. Undoubtedly, one of the most well-remembered angles from this time period, and one of the more revered championship matches in WrestleMania history, and it's kind of considered a classic, and I'm not going to lie, it sort of is the spine of WrestleMania eight as a show that's held with some degree of reverence. And I know that you know fan reverence and all-time listing isn't that important, but, you know, I'm just saying... Now, Flair and Savage became a classic because they built a storyline around it. You know, Flair and Hogan had a built-in storyline, but sometimes the no-brainers don't really fire like you think they're going to. But as a default, or as a side effect of Hogan and Flair being the main event, does it, does it prop WrestleMania 8 to be a more historically relevant event? you got to think that it does. And, of course, this Flashpoint bullet shattering the windshield, it impacts WrestleMania eight. It's revered as a less work-rate-ish show because the Flair-Savage match is a little more well-revered in terms of star rankings. Uh, but does Flair-Hogan become one of those spectacles that is amazing regardless of... How many different maneuvers, counters, and flips are done? Is it like Hogan and Andre, Hogan and Rock? You know, matches like that. Now, this flashpoint affects the card. What happens to the macho man Randy Savage afterwards? Does he wrestle Jake the Snake Roberts? Maybe. Well, holy shit, wait a minute. If The Undertaker was supposed to fight Jake the Snake Roberts, and because of that, it forces The Undertaker to turn face, and he becomes this phenom attraction. That Does he even... He doesn't turn heel again until the ministry, if I'm remembering everything correctly. And that's 1999. And arguably... This attraction run that The Undertaker goes on from now to 99 sort of cements that early legacy of The Undertaker. How does The Undertaker change and how do the changes to The Undertaker affect the WWF? And if Savage wrestles Jake, do we see Savage taking a different path afterwards You know, Savage becomes the champion here and holds the belt until he loses it to Flair and then becomes sort of a Babe Ruther. You know, he's viewed as a a living legend who's here to take photographs and commentate. What happens to him? I don't know, and the show's not about necessarily writing a fictional storyline for Randy Savage in this timeline, but do we get more Macho Man? Do we get less? Does he leave? Uh, I don't know. Hell, does his... Does his personal life change? I mean, there's so much fallout from this. And, oh, you recall a Sid Justice? What happens to Sid Justice? You know, does he get, does he leave earlier because he's not satisfied with the fact that he's not made of anything with Hogan? Does he still destroy the barbershop and get the shaving cream on his face? I don't know if I, as a fan, can handle losing shaving cream, Sid. But I don't know. It's a lot to think about. And let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the Sid Justice Hulk Hogan match, after, oh, it's Papa Shango, misses his cue, the fucking Ultimate Warrior returns. What does the W... First of all, does the Warrior return at Mania 8? If so, in which context, in which match? Uh, And if he does return, we're living in a world where Hulk Hogan the Ultimate Warrior, and the Macho Man Randy Savage coexist with other superstars that are trying to be elevated. And we'll talk about that. Trust me, I've got a whole section devoted to that and potential fallout. But in terms of instant fallout, in terms of how WrestleMania 8 is affected, I think those are the major ripples. I mean, yeah, Okay, El Matador, Shawn Michaels, I don't know, Maybe different. Hey, maybe El Matador loses to The Undertaker in a squash and Shawn Michaels doesn't get the moment to quote-unquote shine. Or maybe he stinks up the joint with the Tonka a year earlier. I, I don't know. Maybe the British Bulldog and Berserker gets on the card for a change. I swear to you, as a youngster, you know, Hogan and Warrior in the ring celebrating, the pyro goes off, and eventually, eventually they leave. And as a youngster... My parents are like, all right, well, that was it. That's the end. And I'm like, well, I think we still got British Bulldog and Berserker. And they're like, I don't think so. And I'm like, I don't know. They might be coming out. <laughs> Alas, they did not. Um, but, but you know, Skinner, Owen Hart, maybe, doesn't exist? I don't know. Uh, and I don't have any jokes about that one. At least nothing I can think about off the cuff, except to yell, Skinner, the alligator band because it makes me laugh. Uh, but those are the lightning bolts that ripple and shatter, uh, the effect of WrestleMania 8 with our instant fallout. Potential fallout, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to overstep, but world-changing? You'll have to be the judge here. I mean, I really don't think it's too much of a stretch for these things to have become an actual... Well, you know, to be a possibility to potentially happen. But, uh, you know, talk about potential fallout. Here we go. So... And this is sort of stream of consciousness, how it came to me. Some of them maybe sequentially a little out of order, but I wanted to leave it this way to show you how maybe one thing led to another. So, potential follow here. Does does Hogan not disappear until WrestleMania 9 then? Well, if he's probably beating Flair for, at Mania 8, I, I don't think he is disappearing. Which led me to the next question. I mean, does Bret Hart still get elevated or even a run with the title in 1992 or even in 1993 think about that if Hogan gets the gold at 8 I mean SummerSlam's going to stay in Landover probably wasn't that the location I don't know who he's wrestling maybe a return with flair maybe that makes sense maybe oh my god can you imagine the mega powers explode too but with them as baby faces wow If they did Hogan Savage with the Flair in the middle, and then Flair introduces the Elizabeth stuff or something, I don't know. Oh, man. (gasps) Flair produces photos of Hogan with Liz. No, I don't like it one bit, Vince. I didn't sign off on this. Well, uh, Randy, it's, you know, all within the vein of entertainment. And as you know, we're trying to innovate in the entertainment space and speaking of space uh for all you in the present uh, make sure you're subscribed to you know the wwe experience on apple vision pro when it becomes available in a spatial computing area and you'll be able to live with the superstars you'll be able to hang out in the locker room or placing cameras in all the locker rooms for your apple vision pro users to see the sports entertainers remove their clothing is it legal Well, that's up to Endeavor to decide. But think about this. Think about Savage and Hogan with Flair in the middle. Fuck, do it at Wembley. I don't care. Still do Bret Bulldog. I guess there's nothing to keep you from doing Bret Bulldog. Wow, and then you could do, like, uh, you could do Ultimate Challenge 2 at WrestleMania 9 with Hart and Hogan. I mean, probably not happening. But if Bret doesn't get his run, which was my main point, Bret's run on top, and then eventual re-emergence on top after Luger. But does Luger even happen here? But my point about Brett, let me get to it because I keep finding these divergent paths because so much, is, so much is dependent on Brett winning the title. Even though I'm not a Brett fan, hear me out. Brett's run at the top over his various times as champion sort of contributes to the mindset that, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, that's smaller, different, types of champions are a viable choice. I know that his run didn't set the world on fire, um, but this, Brent winning the gold leads to guys like Michael's winning the gold. It, indirectly, it, it kind of leads to, and this is my hypothesis only, I'm not saying there's a beat-for-beat like beat correlation, but you think a Foley's ever winning the title if the Hogan mold and then Diesel, like Luger type guys stay, stays the mold? Uh, Daniel Bryan, and I know that's way in the future, but I don't know. Uh, that's why this is why I love the uh, you know games like this or what have you. The dominoes fall into place, and you—it's almost impossible to predict, especially in wrestling when so much is based on the fan reaction. Um, here's a fun one with Yokozuna on the scene. Do we just build to Hulk versus Yoko at WrestleMania Nine? And if we do. See, I've always kind of felt that Brett and Yoko at WrestleMania made sense even if Yoko didn't win the Royal Rumble, but the thing I'm going for here is I feel like they needed Yoko to win the Royal Rumble to elevate him or to make it seem like him wrestling Brett was a big deal, like they had to sell the Rumble, but if it's Hogan and Yoko from the get-go, do they even create the stipulation where the winner of the Rumble goes to Mania? I, I don't know. But it's fun to hypothesize. How would this affect the steroid trial? Because Hogan testifies. But if he's already working for Vince, and we assume that the working relationship continues, you know, does it shatter their relationship in different ways? Does it lead to Hogan being punished on screen or just removed completely? You know, in 92, we were sort of nearing Hogan fatigue anyway. So, if he stays and never leaves... Does he get a heel run in the WWF? Does he even go to WCW? Let's say he beats Flair at WrestleMania 8 and then nothing that majorly changes the landscape and direction of the wrestling business happens and then he just leaves after King of the Ring for whatever reason like he usually does. If history continues as we know it, and he goes to WCW, and his big debut is against Flair. We know that match did gangbusters. That match sort of changed the... Person- I don't want to say personification because it's not personification. The perception is the word I'm looking for. They both start with P and have multiple syllables to deal with that. At least in my eyes, as a youngster, 11-year-old kid who convinced his parents to buy pay-per-views, hey, that's purchasing power. You know, especially now in these days when all you have to do is press a GD button. You know, yesterday, my son came to me with, like, an Amazon gift card that he had gotten from somebody for his birthday. And, you know, it was like 30, 40 bucks or some shit. And he hands it to me and he's like, hey, can I give you this if I can buy some, like, PlayStation credits? He's like, just like 20 bucks of PlayStation credits? I was nice and I said you could buy the full amount because what's the difference between cash and Amazon, in my opinion? But that being said, it's... The purchasing power is right there. So uh, I, I'm sure parents out there can attest. We often give in to small dollar amounts to appease a scenario or to, I don't know, it, it, you are going to go do XYZ and it's pouring down rain and you can't. And it's like, ah, oh, I'll tell you what, kidster, press that button and buy yourself the downloadable content you wanted. That'll make you happy. Leave me alone. I need my alone time. No, I'm just kidding. But you get what I'm saying. So the you know I had purchasing power as an 11 year old to a certain extent. My whole point being that Flair versus Hogan at Bash at the Beach solidified to me that WCW now was here to play. No pun intended on Big Boy's play. But if they've already fought at Mania Eight, does that happen? Does Hogan carry that cachet without Flair? Because the last time we saw Hogan, he was getting a fireball in his face, and he just didn't seem that important. I don't know. Needless to say, it's, it's impossible to know. But at the same time, wondering, you know, sort of considering that this hyper-time event is out there somewhere. I mean, I don't really truly believe that. Uh, AJ Styles does, though. I was talking to him at a wrestling convention. He's like, see, I heard your podcast. I said, hey, AJ, you did? Yeah, man. You were talking about like the multiverse. That's just real, man. I got some literature for you. Hey, this guy over here is going to hand you some literature that says the multiverse ain't, uh, is real. Okay, If he says, hey, you want my literature, Johnny C., you just say, I don't want none. I don't want none. You acting scared, but you don't really want none. Because I'm a country boy doing country things. Ain't nobody stomping this redneck. Those aren't the words, but you get it. I, I don't know. Hogan is such a powerful force. In wrestling, especially in this time frame, ladies and gentlemen, of the loyal North-South Connection podcast, Galaxy, I really believe that Hogan is the touchstone of professional wrestling in this era. So if you shatter his timeline, it affects everything. I don't believe in shattering the timeline. I don't know about the multiverse. But I'll tell you what, if you were to prove to me it's real and you could shatter Hulk Hogan's timeline, I believe that it would have massive implications. AJ Styles literature be damned. Um, So yeah, that's sort of our first discussion. Hope it got some, you know, ideas flowing up in your head. Uh, Let's talk about the next sort of flashpoint idea that I had. So we've got to travel back in time again, this time to February of 2001. And we have to convince the executives at the FX television network to rescue Eric Bischoff and Fuchsia Media when Turner pulls out their time slots for the WCW purchase. That was wordy. Bischoff and Fuchsia Media are going to purchase WCW from Turner before the AOL Time Warner merger so they can get it off the books. However, right before the deal can be closed, Turner pulls the broadcast slots on TBS and TNT away from the deal Thus making it, quote-unquote, worthless, according to Eric Bischoff. It's just a tape library and some IPs. Actually, it'd be like this. You know, TV time is just kind of worthless you get some IPs, uh, a tape library. You know, I'm, a pro- I'm an executive producer of television. Uh, if I can't make television, I'm not, I'm not really an executive producer of television. Have this beer. Drink some of this beer. It's good beer. And that's what happened with Fusion Media. You know, I just couldn't get the TV time. So if we convince FX to dive in and intervene, because Erica talked with FX, and they agreed to give WCW four hours a week on their programming. Boom! Flashpoint created. And that means on May 6, 2001, WCW Big Bang airs on the Television, Well, on a pay-per-view basis, of course. Uh, WCW Big Bang, not to be confused with that time that Kevin Nash hung out with Pamela Paulshock after a Thunder taping. Hey, Pammy, <laughs> what are you doing here? You know this is my hotel room. Anyway, the WCW Big Bang pay-per-view was a concept that Eric Bischoff and others have spoken about before. Wherein, when the contract expired to air... WCW on TNT and TBS. WCW would go into a hibernation period and come back, hopefully on TBS and TNT. uh, But alas, it wasn't to be. So in this world, they come back on pay per view, though, you know, the day before the FX show debuts or what have you, May 6, 2001, whenever the, you know, the paper, the weekly show would be. There's no guarantee it's a Monday. But. This was to be another WCW reboot, which we all know Johnny C. loves to talk about WCW reboots. Uh, Let's take a look at the instant fallout here. The instant fallout isn't as massive because, you know, the instant ramification is there's a pay-per-view that sets up what the new WCW looks like. and. It doesn't really fit into our game for us to sit here and be like, well, maybe Booker T beats Scott Steiner, or maybe Lance Storm becomes the leader of an evil faction. Like, I, I I don't think that's really something we want to spend an entire conversation point on. But it does lead to a couple of fundamental truths if the pay-per-view happens and the TV deal is signed. One, WCW lives. Rob Van Dam likely goes to WCW as Eric Bischoff was extremely high. You know, I'm going to say pun intended on RVD. It also means Eric Bischoff has pretty much sole authority to run the second largest company in professional wrestling. It means that Booker T is still under contract to WCW and most likely doesn't, well, I mean, you know, for the near future anyway, doesn't go to the WWF. And, you know, I wanted to say that there were other people that got a bump from being a part of the invasion. Uh, that didn't go to WWF, but uh, RVD and Booker T were the only ones I can think of that had any relevancy post-invasion. So it's hard to speculate if anybody else would have gotten a lot of attention. Now, honestly, in terms of instant fallout, what this moment does in the instant is, like I said, impossible to hypothesize. But the potential fallout of this event, how much time do you got? The Monday Night War never ends, question mark? You know, if WCW debuts on FX on Monday night, you got to think at least that first night and maybe the first month, we might be in business here. Now, of course, the problem is a WCW roster. But if FX commits to a certain amount of programming... You know, we're going to at least have some sort of ongoing war. The war doesn't end like it does. I know some would say the war was over the second that, uh, you know, Russo left, WWF went to WCW, not because, you know, that was going to mean that WCW had all the ammunition they needed. It just meant they were going to burn out a lot quicker. I know the roster is thin, but, you know, if they're on television, they're on television and there's potential there. You know, in the WWF world, there's no invasion. Period. It, it doesn't happen. Which means Stone Cold Steve Austin as a heel is going to be carrying the promotion throughout the summer at a minimum to the near future of the WWF. And I'm not saying that the invasion storyline, I'm not saying that having Austin be the heel leader made any sense. I'm not saying it was a good idea. But what I am saying is that when Austin became attached to the invasion Concept, it gave them free reign to maintain Stone Cold Steve Austin as a heel, heel, as a real, not a cool heel, a heel, heel. Now he was very funny, but without that storyline attachment shackled to him, you know, do we are we forced to make him go face? And then does that change how the WWF pursues and goes in the future? Two thousand two looks a hell of a lot different, but I'm really serious about this. The Austin thing, especially. Again, I'm not saying it was a great idea or even a good idea, but when Austin became the leader of the invasion or the uh, alliance, okay, it. it I don't want It breathed new life into the heel character, but only by a default. I don't really, honestly think it creatively did fully. I mean, sure, we got like what chance the funny stuff where he beats up Taz. I mean, there's entertainment value there, but you know. What are you going to do to keep Austin that mega of a heel without the invasion? I guess is my main point. That's sort of what I'm getting at. Speaking of WCW wrestlers and the WWF... Do, do Hogan, ha, and Nash ever go back to the WWF for their little NWO run at all? Or does Hogan go back to WCW since Vince Russo's gone and he could get some of that guaranteed money? Now, it's not guaranteed Turner money. He still has guaranteed Turner money. So maybe, maybe those guys don't come back at all. Maybe the new WCW has the exact same problems that Vince in the WWF did in 2001. Of course, keep in mind, they only had those problems... Because they purchased WCW. So if Eric purchases WCW, he's got those problems. But, you know, it's my understanding that he would have to... You know, from what I understand about the business, from what I've picked up, he would have to be the one to get them under a fuchsiant contract, if that makes sense. Because they have a contract with Turner to work for their division of Turner Entertainment called WCW. If Turner Entertainment's WCW doesn't exist anymore, you know, Nash and those other guys are able to fulfill their obligations because they're ready, willing, and physically able, but Turner doesn't have a way for them to perform, so they get paid, you know, whatever it is to sit at home and do nothing. Yeah. So Eric Bischoff's got to negotiate with these guys, and he doesn't have Vince's pockets or resources, so I don't know. I don't know what happens with those Turner contract guys, but I think it would be interesting. You know, do we get a bidding war? Do the guys jumping from place to place still happen? I don't know. Does Hogan... Hogan probably never gets his last run in the WWF that ever meant anything at like a WrestleMania 18 and getting that belt for a month and then getting chokeslammed by The Undertaker at Judgment Day. Maybe we don't need that. But speaking of O2, if there's no invasion storyline, you know, there's no title unification. Jericho probably doesn't get... I mean, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But more importantly, I think, does Triple H get a run on the top of the company as a babyface? Is he given the opportunity to move the needle? Because at WrestleMania 18, he's in the main event, he wins the unified championship, and then he drops it to Hogan at Backlash. And eventually he's turned heel by X amount of time. You know, he never got the chance to move the needle. He never got the... I mean, I'm not saying that I'm... Clamoring for it, but this is Fallout. These are things that could potentially happen. And, you know, if Triple H doesn't turn heel and WCW is still in business, does Ric Flair ever come back? I mean, obviously, we'd never get the consortium was me. Woo! I'm a consortium, Vince. I'm a great ambassador in this sport, but now I am a consortium. Woo! Here's something interesting, thinking about Flair coming in and Vince and him being co-owners. And I know that that's only the storyline that leads to the brand split, but if competition doesn't go away and die with WCW and the roster doesn't receive a massive influx, are we still doing the brand split here? Does the idea really pick up traction? You know, I, I believe... A large portion of the genesis of the idea was to create the illusion of competition. You know, like, hey, Raw, WWF Raw is here. WWF SmackDown is here. No, we're two different things. What are you going to watch, Raw or SmackDown? You know, Raw or Nitro, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. I mean... Does the idea even get thought of if there's no way to? I mean, because a larger part of the problem was the perceived lack of competition. But also, how do we use these guys? We're paying. I mean, we need them because we got to fill hours with content. We can't do the same thing every week. So we need bodies on contract. But... You know, if we split the shows, I mean, fuck, we can use Jamie Noble for something. He's he's a pretty good hand, Vince. This is uh, Bruce Pritchard talking about Jamie Noble to Vince McMahon. He's a pretty good hand, you know. We go over there and maybe give him that the, the tough enough girl. Maybe they can make out and fuck. What do you think, Vince? Well, I enjoy watching uh, family members indulge in their utmost desires, uh, Jamie Noble. You know, what if we gave him his own show, Pritchard? I think it's a good idea. Yes, I'm, I'm now. I have a grand design to split the WWE, gotta get that F out, Richard, into two unique brands of entertainment. And if they don't do the brand split, much like Na- Jamie Noble, how many guys ever get their shot to excel? I think we can all agree that a lot of individuals that became. Marquee superstars, or at least the main event superstars, whether they drew money or not, a lot of, it happened to a lot of different guys because there were two different shows and they had to have you know what's your main event roster got to be like six seven deep hypothetically you know I don't think it's a bad idea to say that you should have at least six or seven individuals that at any time could be champion in your largest division or your most important division I don't think that's a bad thing to say at all so guys like Edge. Evolution! This evolution, I mean, evolution got Batista and Randy Orton over. Yes, they did it on their own too, but the concept, you know, what happens to guys like that? What happens to Seed of JBL? Again, again, I'm not saying it was like a great idea, but it was, you know, it, it, I mean, hey, it's a memorable year run for God's sakes. Eddie? Does Eddie ever become what he becomes? Chris Benoit. Just saying, that's another name. Brock. I know, hey, I know Brock is. Brock, not Brock Lesnar's That's a show pig, uh, Vince. Okay, you gotta get him out on the TV. You gotta do a right goddamn now. It's JR saying Brock Lesnar's a show pig. He kinda does look like a show pig, though. <laughs> you know, he's big and inflated and he's got that nose. But, so Brock may not have had a problem, but I think it's definitely easy to say, you know what? Fuck it. Shoot Brock to the moon. Have him be the champ on the one, on one of the shows. When you have two shows, you know, because he's only been there for like five weeks. Well, okay, like five months. But you get what I'm saying here. It's a hell of a lot easier to take a risk with someone on top. You don't know if they can actually work if you've got two shows. And that's just the immediate future of what's facing us. Ladies and gentlemen, larger piece of potential fallout. From the WCW Big Bang pay-per-view and contract actually happening. Let's talk about NWA TNA. 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 Do we have to? Yeah, we should just mention it. If if anything else, briefly. I mean, there's a lot of people that found their place in the wrestling business because they spent time in NWA TNA. And it continues to employ... Multiple independent contractors in the wrestling sphere to this day. I mean, does it even happen if WCW stays in business? I, I highly fucking doubt it. So in a way, does WCW, the new version, sort of act as Impact Wrestling? Sort of like, I don't know, a laughable joke, but every week you at least get one good match? I mean, I've seen all those fucking early NWA TNA pay-per-views from the fairgrounds, where our truth is actually pretty badass. Uh, you know, and Vince Russo's Mister Wrestling Three and Rowdy Piper's yelling at people, and Tony Schiavone's there, and I fucking Sonny Siaki. Actually, I'm a pretty big Sunny Siaki mark. It's too bad that guy uh, never got his chance to shine on the big stage. I like the, born in grassland, born in grassland, Flight Elvises, man, Utah chapter. And, you know, I really I I don't want to sound too dramatic about, you know, this, but if if WCW stays in business and even if they maintain a moderate degree of success, you know, whatever ratings FX would would want or, you know, whatever would would turn a profit, if you will, it could honestly keep things like from NWAT from ever starting. I mean, if Jared has a place to work, why is he going to get together with his dad and then Panda Energy to start a new company? it's and then what happens to people like AJ Styles well AJ Styles just to use his example was you know experiencing time with WCW around the de- the death day so I-, I don't know but do they get pushes do they you know do indie gods become a thing do we get ring of honor i, I don't know you now chances are i do believe that independent wrestling um Happened because of an over—I don't want to call it oversaturation—but because of a of an influx of individuals who grew up wanting to become wrestlers because of what they saw on television in this television boom era. Probably the attitude the the '90s, we'll just say. So those people are probably still going to want to be wrestlers, and because of that desire, there are going to be smaller companies that open up, but with two. North American wrestling company still having major cable television clearance who who gets the, the first shot you know who gets a shot on a bigger platform and who turns it into something i don't know and do wwf stars you know go to wcw again do you know do we still see people crossing over you know does booker t take that shot to go sign with vince when his wcw contract with fusiont ends It's certainly a possibility, and kind of... And look, if you wanted to punch me in the face and say, Johnny, you've taken it one step too far, I wouldn't blame you here, because WWF 24-7 was absolutely a thing. However, what, what does the WWE network feel like? Is there that much of a push to get it? Sure, they eventually absorbed ECW's content library, but a big sell, you know... A big sell to me was the fact that I had gotten rid of my wrestling tapes years previously like an asshole and was so excited to just have access to all that stuff again, even though I didn't... I, I don't need to ever watch SummerSlam 90 again, but I want—I certainly want to be able to if I want to, and that's just a random pay-per-view that popped into my head, nothing against SummerSlam 90. Uh, that was my first SummerSlam, actually. That's probably why I picked it, but my point is, is that without the WCW content library, what you know, because that's the second big sell. It's like, oh, we get the WWE content library and the WCW content library. And then for me personally, the ECW content library is not much of a sell. Because it, to me, and this doesn't have to be a universal opinion, but without the music, it, it doesn't feel the same. And so therefore, it's not the same. And, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, but, you know, and just pouring it in, the last thing I'll say about the modern day era... AEW? I mean, again, that's really, I mean, we're talking 20, maybe 20, when did AEW form 2018 or something like that? So this is like 17 years later. I mean, there's nothing to say that Tony Collins still doesn't want to do his thing. But if guys like Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega can go to WCW if it still exists, do we need AEW? I just don't know. I really, really don't know. But, uh, I guess we could find out. If anybody can run fast enough to get back in time, we can figure this bad boy out. But that's, you know, we could go all day on the ifs and the ands and the buts. But I think those are the major talking points and potential fallouts from WCW continuing to exist into this modern era. Uh, But I got another one for you. Another Flashpoint event. And, And this one could drudge up some negative memories and I and I you know with the scenario that I'm going to put in place because it involves bad things happening to the WWE based on government intervention I'm not trying to start up a conversation about uh, you know like company rights versus government rights or anything like that it's just this is a major like whoa moment you know this is like a so I tried to create a scenario that would be very uh, how should I put this? It's it, I don't dive deep into Well, let me just explain. All right. Let me just explain and then you can do it. So the Flashpoint event would be this. The WWE is unable to hold WrestleMania 36 and Raymond James Stadium. That, that's something that happened because of the COVID pandemic. All right. The Flashpoint event is this. We go back... And we tell Vince McMahon that he's Vince McMahon, damn it, he can do what he wants. And the folks that control and own Raymond James Stadium ain't going to let him in. But he decides to hold WrestleMania 36 in the Performance Center, as he does in the real world. But he lets first-come, 1st serve crowd of people come in and however many people can fit into an NXT taping, actually show up and WrestleMania 36 happens live in the Performance Center with a full house. Because of this, the federal government intervenes and quarantines the WWE Performance Center and production facilities in Florida until their investigation and the legal legal process can be completed, the investigation into all the laws that the WWE broke based on federal restrictions about gathering in public places, and long story short, the WWE is unable to use the Performance Center for about a year. And where are we going to make our television show, ladies and gentlemen? So again, it's a very... Like, I don't, it's very legally fiction, okay? But, you know, let's just say, what if the WWE wasn't able to use the Performance Center for the first year of the COVID pandemic? Well, the instant fallout of that, uh, no Raw or no SmackDown from a place where they could produce television with a wrestling ring. What are they going to do? Are they going to set up a ring at Titan Tower? I mean, I guess it wouldn't surprise me up on the roof. But let's say they didn't do that. Of course, they're going to have a desire to keep new content coming on a weekly basis, okay? They they don't ever want to be the company, you know, it's a big thing for them that each week, well, well, we don't do repeats, the WWE season never closes, it goes on and on. So maybe they scramble and they put like Michael Cole in front of a, a monitor and they're like, he's like, well, based on the fallout of WrestleMania, we uh, we have this now from Brock Lesnar and Brock Lesnar talks into his cell phone and sends it in and and that's and, and they keep doing storylines gorilla style, you know, until they can figure out what they're going to do, uh, because you know if if it's just you filming something on your cell phone then you know you you're, you're not breaking any laws but the potential fallout and where with the whole reason I really wanted to talk about this, what if they find a way to produce wrestling without the arena wrestling content? You know what if what if they started making movies pal and I'm, and I'm serious about this. I don't want it to come across as being humorous, and it may not be a great idea. Okay? But what if, like, we saw the, we've seen things like the Boneyard match. Okay? We've also, like, and I also, I'm a big fan of the final deletion. Like, I think the final deletion is the perfect balance between um, cinematic matches and also the unique thing about the final deletion is that if you only watch the in-ring cinematic match component, it, it's fine. But what really pushes the final deletion over the edge for me in a good way is the prologue movie portion with Senior Benjamin and Vanguard 1 and Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Hardy trying not to crash his dirt bike while reaching out for Vanguard 1. Like, oh, I'm, oh, I'm going to crash. I'm going to crash. And Jeff Hardy swinging his guitar at the CG Vanguard 1 at his house and breaking shit. Matt Hardy on the lawnmower. Like, okay, obviously I love the final deletion. But, you know, they had to make a movie to give you the feud reason. And we've seen cinematic matches like Money in the Bank at the Titan Tower with Asuka in the elevator. Which is another sort of great moment. But uh, your mileage may vary. But what if... You know what if we're forced to shoot feuds like it's a movie, you know, with with uh, superstars talking to other superstars in a in a location, you know, where COVID protocols can be maintained, and then you know, uh, you know, it's it's the OC, it's AJ Styles and the two other guys, and they're like, man, things were crazy last week. You know, the Undertaker was talking some major smack. Well, I heard the Undertaker, you know, is, is across the street training. All right, well, let's go see what we can do. And then the OC, they walk and they, you know, they head out. We, we cut. Now they're outside the building they were in and they see the Undertaker's motorcycle. And they, I don't know, they set it on fire and run away. You know, and then the cops show up and they're talking to the Undertaker. I mean, I'm just saying, like, you know... Movies and TV shows don't show you minute by minute what happens. You know, Law & Order, they're not like, well, we better go interview uh, The Witness. They just cut, bum-bum, The Witness's house. And they're interviewing The Witness. We don't have to see everything. But what if, I don't know, what if an episode of Raw became three mini-movies about the three big feuds? What if it changed the game of professional wrestling forever? Again, I don't know if it's a good idea, but it's certainly a unique thing that could have arisen from a very, very negative set of circumstances. I don't know if it would have been better than the Thunderdome. I really don't. I can tell you, I'm never watching anything from the Thunderdome Um without it being like an assignment for a podcast in my life. And that is nothing against the men and women that busted their ass to produce content when it was needed the most. Well, I needed as a distraction, I guess is what I'm trying to say. They didn't need to put themselves at risk. Um, but I, I'm not interested. I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not stealing JT's gimmick here. I just I have zero fucking desire. You know, Rock Hogan is a five-star all-time classic match in the history of this entire art form. It's not without the crowd, though. I'm sorry. It's not. So I don't care how hard you worked. It's a different art form. So if you're already forced to produce a variant of the art form, go all in. You know, there are... The found footage genre... That's a very divisive film genre. You know, the Blair Witch Project was, you know, the first... Mainstream. I don't know if it was the first one. It's probably not. I'm sure somebody can correct me out there. Kevin Nash probably could. You know, Johnny uh, Witch. it's 99. But you know, my buddy Phil, uh, he made a found footage film back in 92. Uh, It was basically just him and his wife fucking. And then, uh, you know, one of their buddies walked in and they talked for a minute. And he was like, well, hey, you know, Phil, uh, maybe... Maybe you should fuck her, too. I mean, or maybe he should fuck your wife. I just, I don't know, man. Uh, That's a found footage film that I've seen. I mean, I found the footage in Phil's house, and then I watched it. So it's technically a found footage film, Johnny. So your Blair Witch calculation's just a little bit off. I heard Nolan's gonna remake the Phil sex tape, but I don't know. Negotiations are ongoing. But, you know, what if it, the found footage genre, not every found footage film is like the Blair Witch project. You know, they find... You know, the Blair Witch is like a documentary found footage, whereas a film like Chronicle, which is another found footage film, is like, oh, yeah, the kids are just out doing their thing, and then they keep recording themselves because they develop superpowers, and it's like they have dialogue scenes that aren't dependent upon someone holding the camera, being like, I'm holding the camera, you know, because they hold it with their mind, and they just have a normal conversation as if the camera isn't there. So you can, you can... Find spin-offs of the professional wrestling genre as ways to tell the stories. And honestly, the professional wrestling business is never going to change unless they're forced to, bro. As I'm saying this word by word, I think I said like Vince Russo, so I added a bro. And, and I could be wrong, guys. I'm not some fucking expert. I'm just a guy with a microphone. But when you force professional wrestling to make a change, they can usually make a change. I don't know this, you know this crazy alternate reality where the government ain't letting me make my wrestling tapes. Damn it, government, leave me alone! I don't know, and yeah, it's a stupid reason to get there, but it's the only thing I could think of that would force professional wrestling to change. This is the one I was most divisive about talking about because I, I just have theories and random nonsense. Some of the other stuff, you know, you can you can pretty much make it. Assumptions about what probably would happen, uh, which is I got one more to, one more flashpoint to talk about, and I think you'll agree with me there that if this doesn't happen, there are some clear dominoes that don't fall. So this one's more up in the air, and it's more conversational and more wishy-washy. But I don't know a a part of me I don't ever want to relive that era, Thunderdome, pandemic, any of it. Uh, and, and that's from a real world perspective. But at the same time, I w- I would just love for wrestling to be forced. To think about things differently. And unless some outside force makes them, it's not gonna happen. But I don't know. Anything else is is well, it's all conjuncturity or say, but I thought it might be a fun little conversation to get started there. So, like I said, I've got one more flashpoint that I want to talk about. And in order to do that, folks, we've gotta travel all the way back to 1996. Specifically, we need to travel to New York City. The city's so nice, they named it twice, as the brain gremlin would say. And we have to travel back to New York City to a very specific location, the world's most famous arena, perhaps, Madison Square Garden, on a very specific date, May nineteenth, nineteen 1996. Of course, many of you already know the event that was taking place at Madison Square Garden on May nineteenth, 1996, it was, of course, the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Oh, wait, no, it was a WWF house show main evented by a 15-foot-high steel cage encounter between Big Daddy Cool, Diesel, as Doc Hendricks would say. Whoa, Vince, look at that, it's Diesel. whoa! Taking on the Heartbreak Kid Jack, Shawn Michaels. Now, thank you watch, apologize for that, if you don't know the significance of this matchup, this is the match that ends with the infamous curtain call, where at the end of the match, Shawn Michaels and Diesel embrace, they're joined by Razor Ramon and Hunter Hurst Helmsley, a low-level heel. The four men embrace center ring, throw up the world-famous click sign, mount the turnbuckles, and pose as a way to say goodbye to their friends, uh, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall, and Diesel, Kevin Nash, as they're heading towards WCW and some fucking hot-ass guaranteed money. But what we're going to do here to instigate a Flashpoint event, and I don't want this to be violent, so I guess there's one of two ways we could look at it. The first thing we can do is, as the main event match starts... Sneak up behind Hunter Hurst Helmsley and comically club him in the head with, like, maybe some wacky sound effects, like boing, punk. You know, because we don't want her. we don't want him to actually be hurt—and lock him in a broom closet so he can't go out for the curtain call. Or we could take some of those eye drop things and put him in his water, because you know he ain't drinking anything that's heavier than water, and uh, you know, make him shit his brains out during the entire main event to where he can't come out. Scott Hall will be knocking at the door. Hey, all honor, man. It's time to go pose and show these fools who owns this place, even though we're leaving. I can't right now, Scott. I've got to take a shit. But the whole point is to make sure that Triple H doesn't participate in the curtain call. Ladies and gentlemen... This might sound like an innocent little gag that Johnny C. is trying to pull to get attention, but it's not. The instant fallout. Paul Levesque, the actor that portrays Hunter Hearst Helmsley, their character Hunter Hearst Helmsley goes on to be crowned the 1996 King of the Ring. Actually, Johnny, Officer uh, Man here, it's called the King of the Ring Award winner. I'm Sorry. Hunter Hearst Helmsley becomes the 1996 King of the Ring award winner. That's better. And that's it. That's the only real thing that happens. Oh my God. Do Do you guys feel the earth shaking around you? My God! The potential fallout is monstrous. So let's talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel more so than anything we've talked about tonight. This fucking fundamental shift in the booking of a random match on a random show changes professional wrestling history as we know it forever. The Austin 316 speech doesn't happen because Stone Cold Steve Austin doesn't win the King of the Ring by defeating Jake the Snake Roberts and therefore having an open microphone to verbally taunt the overtly religious athlete. And ladies and gentlemen, Stone Cold Steve Austin is a talented, talented person. I believe that. But I'm sorry. If Stone Cold Steve Austin doesn't say, Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass out of nowhere, completely shocking everyone, including a Doc Hendricks who's standing there with the microphone, if he does not say those words, I just don't know what becomes of the WWF. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here, but Austin 316 was something that just gave that character the extra little boost that when he was on screen, you knew to anticipate the unexpected. That leads him into the fall and feuding with Bret Hart. Would he have still feuded with Bret Hart? Potentially. Potentially. But without the Austin 316 speech, is Austin going out there to be a foul mouthed? heel that kicks ass and takes no prisoners? I don't know. We certainly can't guarantee that because the Austin 316 speech is what gave the spark that would light the fire that would bring down the First Order. Shit, that's Star Wars. But still, you get what I'm saying. Okay? Now, Austin and Hart have a legendary feud in the fall of 1996 and one of the most uh, appealing elements of the Austin character is that anything can happen uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'd ask us to ask Brian Pillman if anything can happen when you're on TV with Stone Cold Steve Austin. But unfortunately, the man's not here. But we can attest to it. And if you don't believe me, listen to the Wrestling War Zone, which, was a, which now appears on uh, Mondays. Every other Monday, I believe, with Chad and JT as they relive the Monday Night Wars. I'll tell you what, folks. That podcast has a different ending if Triple H wins. The, it, well, excuse me. If Triple H becomes the King of the Ring Award winner. There. Don't yell at me. So... The big question here, does Bret Hart turn heel without Stone Cold Steve Austin's character being what it is? Is it as easy to pull off a double turn if they do wrestle? If they don't, does the United States and Canada war happen? Because folks, I'm going to tell you right now, any person will tell you that it takes time for positivity to pay off. And here, I'm talking about 1997 as possibly the most efficient year of WWF broadcasting because they changed up the landscape. Yes, things were still happening in an arena with matches, but Raw became war. The presentation became different. Anything could and would happen. And that risk and positive product became a reality in 1998, but we're not there yet. Oh, no, there's too much to talk about in 1997 if Stone Cold doesn't win that King of the Ring. Oh, because Triple H doesn't go out there to pose with his buddies. All right, if 1997, the storyline year that saved the WWF doesn't happen, well, you know what, let's just, let's follow actual ramifications. Austin versus Owen at SummerSlam. If all the preceding events don't happen, do they still wrestle? Why is that important? Because it's the bump that turned Stone Cold Steve Austin from a wrestler to a brawler. Pure and simple. But more importantly than that, and I'm not trying to say anything's more important than Austin's health or the health of any performer in a ring. Because that's ultimately the most important thing. However, the injury makes Stone Cold Steve Austin a char- Stone Cold Steve Austin's already a character that you that you want to be on your TV program every week. The injury creates the angle where Austin stuns authority figures including Vince McMahon back in the exact same Madison Square Garden where Triple H took that nasty dump cuz we put the little things in his drink. If that doesn't happen, if that doesn't happen, do Stone Cold and Vince McMahon ever become bitter Enemies. Well, we might not even have to worry about that, because—and this is the hardest thing to pinpoint down—that may be a potential fallout item. Does the Montreal screw job still happen? Now, I don't know. I don't know. One would have to assume the dire financial straits of the World Wrestling Federation continue regardless of who won the King of the Ring, because Austin, uh, you know, didn't make didn't make the company enough money in 1997 to save it. So I don't know if the screw job happens. If we assume it does, then we might be a little bit safer. But here's the kicker. If Stone Cold Steve Austin isn't the character that he is because he gave that speech and feuded with Bret Hart. See, it's, uh, and I'm dead serious about this, feuding with Bret Hart is fine. But Stone Cold Steve Austin feuding with Bret Hart as the character that he created on that podium at the Mecca in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that night in June 1996, that's the character that's feeding with Bret Hart. Now Austin may have powered through and created a character just as powerful. It could have been the same character, but we just don't have the Austin 316 catchphrase. There's no way of knowing, but speculation is what is fun here on this show. If if Austin's not the Megaforce, no, that's not a Michael Buffer WCW joke. The Megaforce. If Austin's not the force that he is leading into the 1998 Royal Rumble, does Mike Tyson show up? Oh, man, Coen third it in 10th. I don't know. But if Austin doesn't have Tyson and Michaels to feud with at WrestleMania 14 and win the gold where the Austin era begins, then it doesn't matter if the screwjob still happened because Mr. McMahon ain't got nobody to feud with. WrestleMania 14 the night after where Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mr. McMahon really facilitate their feud. Does it still happen? Because that's what brings the ratings of the WWF up right away, and then eventually WWF pulls away from WCW and purchases them for pennies on the dollars. Folks, I, I don't know. It is insane to me that this one twist of fate changes the entire destiny of what we know today as the multi-billion dollar media conglomerate over the top streaming entrepreneurial capital gains flywheel that is WWE. And there there are even more things and of trivial events that I probably haven't even talked about. And I know this has been discussed before. But man, oh man, it is just it is just the happiest of Freaking accidents that this happens. It's fascinating to think about. It truly is. You know, I, I you know I'm not gonna sit here and go through all the potentialities, but they're a very set um, uh you know Proceedings that took place in our world, in the real world, that led the WWF to that moment where Austin is in the ring with McMahon with one hand tied behind his back, where they win the war for the first time in 83 weeks, and then they lose the next week. But then, you know, but that's that Austin 316 speech leads to that moment in so many ways. Could they have still gotten there? I. <sighs> Austin 316 is such an easy thing to put on a sign. It's such an easy thing to put on a t-shirt. And let's not kid ourselves, folks. We are a dumb society. The simpler the better. All right. If it doesn't catch my attention in what is it? What do you have? Like 1.3 seconds, there's some fucking marketing research study that'll tell you how many seconds you have to catch a potential consumer's eyes and their wallet. I don't know what it is, but I'm not making it up. Austin 316 is that thing, and I don't know, but man, would I love to be able to peer into an, a fucking magnify whatever those things are called a crystal ball, you know, and travel uh, at a timeline where this happens and go right to Wikipedia and look up Stokel and Steve Austin and be like, "Give it to me, what what is this?" You know, and it'd be like redirecting to Frank Fang McFrost or Chili McFreeze or whatever they wanted to call him. It'd be like, what is Stone Cold Steve Austin? Did you mean Fang McFreeze? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But, man, I'd love to play that game. And all from, you know, messing with the game, a Triple H. And it's crazy. Because, you know, even if you take it back to its main genesis, the click, being Shawn Michaels, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, and Paul Levesque, you know, they they love to have, who have thrown around their stroke in the WWF in 1995. I mean, they had no idea what they were doing to the world of professional wrestling and the amount of money that they were making Vince McMahon in that moment. It's, seriously? Those, well, I know Mr. Hall has passed, but, and Triple H works there now, and I guess Shawn does too. Well, you know what? They should all have guaranteed money for life. They should get a weekly stipends for making this all possible. I believe that. But, folks, speaking of things I believe, I, I think that's going to close the door and the gates to the multiverse for this particular episode. Um, but I think we ha- I-, I had a lot of fun. I hope you all did, too. Uh, Keithy Langston will be joining us the next month, and we're going to traverse more alternate realities out there in the multiverse. But, man, these flashpoints. You know, Hogan and Flair, WCW, COVID, COVID. Uh, triple h i mean triple h making all you know triple h curtain call these are all random moments that lead down so many different pathways it's absolutely fascinating uh, and i hope it was for all of you as well make sure you subscribe to the north south connection podcast network all right and and share it with folks write reviews check out the youtube feed i'm sorry this one's not going to be on youtube but oh man I'll tell you what. As a person who even collaborates with the North South Connection Podcast Network, I am constantly surprised by uh, little—I don't want to say little shows, but you know, shorter videos that pop up on the YouTube channel um, for as discussion points that aren't released as podcasts. Like I'm like, oh, I didn't know they were doing that, and I tune in, and it's freaking fantastic, and it takes just a small amount of my time. Uh, so, I enjoy that quite a bit. I think you all will as well. If you've enjoyed the Multiverse of Fabulousness, make sure you're checking out A La Carte with Keithy Langston, which is on this very network. I believe, if my memory serves correctly, it's on Fridays, alternating Fridays. Uh, so, make sure you, you check out Keithy's show. It's quite, quite entertaining. And just a small little plug for myself. Uh, of course, here on the Multiverse, once a month. Uh, But I also have my own podcast feed, The New TNN, you know, like the channel that WWE went to after they left USA, where we cover wrestling, movies, pop culture, all sorts of shenanigans with a comedic slant. So, until we travel together in the multiverse, he is Keithy Langston, wherever he is, alright? But I'm Johnny C, and winner is you.